0: To limit perverse incentives that would encourage providers to selectively care for healthier patients, some payment systems have incorporated risk adjustment methods that account for various clinical characteristics. But there's been increasing concern that clinical risk adjustment isn't sufficient. And some think that risk adjustment that explicitly accounts for social characteristics is what's necessary. I'm Stephen Morris, the managing editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with William Shrank, chief medical officer at Humana. Dr. Schrank has co-authored a perspective article about reconsidering approaches to risk adjustment. Dr. Schrank, could you start by telling us a bit about how clinical risk adjustment is currently used and what types of characteristics are included in that kind of attention? Clinical risk adjustment is used broadly in the payment system
1: as a way to reimburse whoever's bearing risk for managing the health of the patient so that it reflects the underlying costs and complexity of the patients that they care for. The idea is that you wouldn't want to pay an insurer or a risk-bearing provider the same amount to care for a healthy 25-year-old as an 85-year-old with multiple medical problems. And thoughtful risk adjustment methods have been developed to be able to account for the different clinical characteristics of patients and their expected costs to be able to create a much more fair way of reimbursing those who bear risk for the
0: populations they serve. So how do we know that current models, like the, the clinical risk adjustment, those models don't fully account for differences among patients? What evidence do we have?
1: We can first talk a little bit about what we know and what we don't know in general. So the models don't account for social characteristics. So they don't account for whether or not a patient... Has a home, or whether or not they have access to food or their education. There is considerable amounts of data that show that amongst patients with similar clinical characteristics, those that have challenging social context have worse health outcomes and higher healthcare costs. So someone who is homeless, it only stands to reason that if someone is homeless and has congestive heart failure, it's gonna be pretty hard for them manage the complexity of their medical regimen, their ideal exercise, lifestyle regimens, the right low-salt, healthy diet that are going to keep them on the right path, the right trajectory to keep them healthy and out of the hospital. The additional evidence that we're seeing is that there are researchers that have added social characteristics to existing clinical risk adjustment models and are showing that we can do a better job of predicting cost and understanding risk. It's all part of this sort of broader notion that maybe we've set up an unnecessary distinction between clinical and social risk. And maybe it's time for us to start thinking much more holistically about a patient's risk and not trying to separate out social and clinical.
0: So if, as you say, the importance of the social context is self-evident, why is there so much controversy about social risk adjustment, why have some institutions been hesitant to incorporate it into the quality measurement of their payment systems?
1: Well, I think for only for good reason. There are concerns about optics and concerns about how the messages would be set or how messages would be interpreted. The goal would never be to say that for someone who has certain social constraints or social challenges that we would allow for lower quality of care that we would permit different standards of care for patients depending on their social characteristics. But it's certainly possible that one could interpret it that way, right? We could interpret it that will essentially allow for or credit someone's worse performance on certain quality measures or worse clinical outcomes based on social characteristics, which is precisely what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to work towards a system that is more equitable, and by creating a level playing field, one that allows whoever's bearing the risk for the health of the patient to be reimbursed appropriately to deal with the breadth of their challenges, we believe that we will be able to more successfully reduce those disparities in health outcomes and in experience. But I think we'll always be challenged to some extent by these optics that suggest that maybe We're setting different thresholds for patients depending
0: on certain characteristics of theirs. So looking at Humana, what is your organization doing to consider the role of social factors in patient outcomes? Well, we're doing a lot.
1: We're really committed
0: to understanding the whole health
1: needs of our members. A considerable amount of our business is in the Medicare Advantage space. And in that space, the structure of the Medicare Advantage system allows us to take a very holistic view of the needs of our members. We receive a capitated amount of resources to be able to care for a population. And we uniquely are able to redistribute some of those dollars that are earmarked for health care to go upstream to address social context and ideally to avert and prevent some of the physical health consequences that are exacerbated in a setting where the social context is challenging. This year, we will perform over 3 million surveys of our members to understand their challenges around food insecurity, around transportation, around social isolation. We are building rich community-based infrastructure and partnerships to be able to address those problems. So it's not just that we're identifying the problem, but that we're, we're going to be able to actually refer our members to the right programs, the right resources, the right interventions to address them. And CMS over the last couple of years has created new flexibilities in our benefits to be able to provide benefits to address those specific social challenges. So as examples, we're offering grocery benefits in a number of markets. We are offering programs that encourage. So one is through a company called Tivity that offers a program called Silver Sneakers. We're using Silver Sneakers programs at no charge to try to engage our members, not just in exercise, but in the social component of the gathering. We're working with a company called Pop-Up that we are leveraging local college students to visit seniors and offer companionship for those that are feeling socially isolated we have a variety of transportation benefits. All of these aim at trying to understand those members of ours that have the greatest risk and who, if we address their social context, we think will avert downstream healthcare consequences that will have much worse impacts on their existence, on their lives, but also on their healthcare costs. So there's a business case for doing so. So this is really a central part of our approach, of our Philosophy of how we manage populations, we're not alone. If you look at Medicare Advantage in particular, if you look at where their health plans are capitated for the management of populations, you're seeing more and more investment in these features as a way to try to really care for populations in a more progressive and thoughtful way.
0: Finally, you call in your article for meaningful reconsideration of approaches to risk adjustment. What would an ideal model that accounts for all types of risk look like? Is it what you've just been describing? Is it more in that direction? And how would we get there? How would we make that model a reality?
1: Well, I think one important barrier today is the data. We don't systematically collect data from patients about the social determinants of their health, the social features that may adversely impact in the short or long term their health outcomes. We need a much more systematic way of collecting that information if ultimately we believe that it's part of our responsibility to address those challenges. In an environment where there is risk adjustment to account for those characteristics, we expect data collection to rapidly become much more complete. We'd have a much richer sense of what challenges patients, our members are having in their home, in their communities. And by doing so, we'd have a much better chance of being able to address them. By creating a risk adjustment model that blurs the distinction between what is clinical and what is social, in an environment where I think we increasingly are recognizing that those are overlapping concepts, we would necessitate better data collection. We would reimburse plans more accurately for the risk of the population that they're serving and eliminate any perverse incentives to recruiting more from certain neighborhoods and not others where patients might be easier to manage. So we'd be able to create more accurate models and we'd have the data we need to be able to address these contextual issues that are so critical for the health of our members. So I do think that there is a path here that will serve our members better, that will serve our country better, that will create a more fair and equitable healthcare system, and that will allow us to really better understand the holistic needs of the patients and the members we serve. Thank you, Dr. Frank.